Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the Book of Psalms and the steadfast love of God. We'll explore the intricacies of God's covenant love for His people and learn what it means to pour out our heart to Him. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Emily Morgan and Anna Bolduck, two good friends and fantastic fitness instructors. Thank y'all for both for being here. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Well, I say you two are fantastic fitness instructors because I have taken your classes. I have enjoyed um, being underneath your teaching, and Emily has subbed for me a couple of times, 6 a.m., very hard to find a sub, so... That's why I think you're fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and Anna said she would sub for me if I needed her to, and that's why I think she is fantastic. I sure will. I sure will. All right. Well, why don't you all tell us just a little bit about how you became friends, and then we'll do our first things first question. Sure. Uh, we became friends, Emily and I. Uh, Emily invited me to join a supper club that she was starting with the church, and it was about four couples, uh, maybe a little over two years ago now, because we re- met once a month. Uh, we kind of rotated houses. We met once a month, um, and it ended right as the pandemic started, really. And so, pandemic killed it. Yeah, the pandemic killed it, mm. and uh, and then we had a you know one of the couples moved away, et cetera. So Emily, be- Emily and I became walking buddies during the pandemic. We figured out we lived close enough together. Emily would drive over to my house, and we would walk, and um, that's really how our friendship grew. I am a lot more introverted than she is, and so she is my extroverted friend that invites me to go out from my house and participate in fun things and has really been integral in just our families growing closer together and, and our friendship. So I love you, friend. I love you, too. And as an introvert, I appreciate it. An extroverted friend, yes. for sure. All right, first things first question. You're going to answer the question and tell us a little bit more about yourselves. And the question is, what is the very first thing you drink when you wake up in the morning and why? All right, I'll go first. So my name is Emily Morgan, and I'm married to Evan. We have three kids, uh, Brighton, Micah, and Tallulah. And I wear many hats. And I am a, uh, I work here at the church part-time with the children's ministry with their events and also helping with volunteers. I predominantly stay at home other than that. And then I am a fitness instructor like Amber and Anna. And so I teach a class called Body Pump, which is a weightlifting class and a class called RPM, which is a cycling class. And then when I'm not doing those things, I love reading. I enjoy baking and I love all things pop culture. So that's usually the podcast that I have in my ears. To take you to trivia night? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Take me. You'll win. <laughs> you're an extrovert and you like pop culture. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> check, check. <laughs> and the first thing that I like to drink in the morning is coffee. I think that is the first sip of coffee is it's the best thing. So. And you do that before you teach an early morning class. Mm-hmm. That's my pre-workout. Okay. And we're talking early, early for you sometimes. Uh, yes, 530. <laughs> yeah. So, 530 start early. time. Yeah. So you brew that coffee around 5 a.m.? Uh, yeah. Uh, 440 is wow. usually when I drink it. Do they have those settings on coffee makers? They do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm Anna Bolduck, and um, I'm married to Aaron. 
he and I have been married for 15 years. I'm from Peachtree City. We have three children, Thomas, Isaac, and Helen. And um, another fun fact about me is I have a twin sister. So she is my better half. I spent also a lot of time talking with her. Uh, and she still lives in my hometown. So it's kind of, it's fun to live vicariously in my hometown through her. But uh, and some people think you do still live in your hometown. Yes. And some if people you're identical still twins, yeah. right? It's always fun when she comes to visit because people don't often realize I have a twin. And, uh, and it's funny to play tricks on people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a homemaker and also, uh, or a stay-at-home mom and a fitness instructor. I teach body combat, uh, Les Mills program, which is a high-intensity cardio mixed martial arts class, a lot like kickboxing. It helps me with my stress levels. Uh, <laughs> I personally love it. I did martial arts as a kid, and so that was something really easy for me, a format for me to teach. I love to garden. I love all things science. I loved teaching the science elementary kids at Summer Bible Academy this year and uh, just really enjoyed that. I'm a soccer mom. Erin uh, and I have the privilege, Erin uh, Mills and I have the privilege of being soccer moms together. Uh, a karate mom. I help with volunteers and I do uh, help with the leadership of a ministry called Side by Side here in Augusta for medical and dental wives. So basically, you just sit around and eat bonbons. All day long. I have nothing to do. I have so much free time. She's real bored. And Anna always does the score at the soccer game. I'm like, uh, here to hang out. And Anna's like, no, the score is this and all the stats. Here to compete. All right. I think we can all guess. But what's the first thing you drink when you get out of bed? My first thing in the morning is a hot cup of coffee. doesn't matter what time of the year it is. It's always hot. And I feel like that just stems so much from growing up and my family. It was always a very relational thing. Um, and so, yes, I love that cup of coffee. I should probably be drinking water. I drink coffee all day long. Um, first thing I'm drinking in the morning is my leftover thermos of water that I didn't finish the night before. So some lukewarm water, and then I'll go downstairs and brew some coffee. And I definitely enjoy a, um, nice cup of black coffee throughout the day. Um, and a sparkling water. Always got my sparkling water in hand with my water and my coffee. Lots of drinks going on. You go back and forth in between coffee and sparkling water? Totally. All day. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm a lot more simple in the morning. I do drink uh, leftover water from my thermos as well, but it is not lukewarm. It is still icy, icy cold. I do not like lukewarm water. I teach an early morning fitness class as well, and water is about all I can handle. But when I come home, I like to make myself a cup of tea. And I like it to be Earl Grey, and I like to put a splash of milk at the bottom of the cup and a little one scoop of collagen powder, which I don't know how I got into, but now I, that I'm in it, I like it. And I, I, I'm with you, Anna. I just like to hold a cup of something hot. It doesn't matter if it's summertime. I like to, that's just that comforting mm-hmm. feeling. I think we all like a cup of something tasty. And today we're going to be talking about a cup of another sort, but it is a cup that's filled with all the goodness that we long for. Our psalm today is Psalm 16, and in it, King David describes the Lord as being his cup, his chosen portion, his beautiful inheritance. And if you have not read Psalm 16 prior to listening to this podcast, I would would recommend that you hit the pause button and do that now. It's as as encouraging as we hope our conversation is in the next 30 minutes. Uh, We know scripture itself will offer you so much more. So let's start by talking about who, so who wrote Psalm 16. If you read the superscription underneath it, it says that it's a mitcom of David, which means it was probably a musical composition meant to be used in worship. And David begins the psalm asking the Lord to preserve him and confessing that apart from the Lord, he has no good thing. 
He proceeds to thank the Lord for the excellence of his saints, and he acknowledges the stark difference between the sorrows and loss that come to those who run after other gods and the full cup, the good portion, the beautiful inheritance that is found in the Lord. He then blesses the Lord specifically for the steadfastness that comes from following the counsel he gives and puts it all together in the final verse by rejoicing in the eternal salvation of his body and soul and the path of life that the Lord has put him on. The path of life that is set out before him in the presence of the Lord in whose presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So ladies, let's talk about the first four verses in Psalm 16, in which David acknowledges the stark difference between the good that comes from the Lord and the sorrow that comes from chasing other gods that really are no gods at all. I do really love the contrast. You know, the worship to the false gods, you pour out lifeblood, it takes from you. But with the Lord, he fills up, he gives life to you. So where, apart from the Lord, do y'all feel like you tend to look for security or the acquisition of good? And in chasing after that other so-called God, how have you experienced what David describes as the sorrows of the wicked that multiply? I have two big idols that come to mind. Um, that The first one that I've struggled with since uh, preteen and that is just my body image. Um, it has always been just a thorn in my flesh of feeling like I need to, the world has told me and women that we need to look a certain way and no matter what our genetics are, no matter our circumstances and, um, what I, and then it, it has been amplified by being a fitness instructor. There's many good things that come from being a fitness instructor, but it also there is that dark side of it of being it being superficial. And so it is what I have learned as in chasing after that God and that it's never enough. It, the the goal is always moving. And so this lie that if I just do this or if I look like this or if I wear this, it's going to um, I'm going to achieve that happiness and it's it it's never there and then my other one is just my role as a mom and how I put my children on these pedestals of whether it's how they perform or just the risk of what if something happens to them they will not perform the way that I want all the time Um, I'm not guaranteed that um, and because that's not their job and then also um just we've experienced great loss and we know what it that they aren't guaranteed and so putting my hope in my children is futile because they're humans just like me yeah well it makes sense and so the sorrows that come with that specifically are increased discontentment Mm -hmm. always feeling like you don't measure up increasing fear of what yeah. happens if, yeah, those kinds of things. And it constantly changes, like even from like with the body image of how you're supposed to look to the age and stage of your kids. Yeah. Every kid is different. You get a diagnosis, you get a behavioral issue, or they just, they're just created differently than you are. And you had these hopes and dreams and, and they look different than your neighbor's kids. And, but that doesn't mean that it's bad, but it's, but I believe these lies and they multiply. Emily, that hits home for so many of us. Those are all things I think that we know on some level. Thanks for sharing so vulnerably. Yeah. 
Yeah, 100%. I agree with both of those things. I think even from when I was a young age, you know, I shared before in the introduction that I'm a twin. And so what you don't realize as someone who maybe is what we call a singleton (laughs) is that, you know, when you have a twin, you can't escape comparison. And so that really can be something you're always in this even if it's a friendly relationship, even if you're very close to your twin, the outside perspective is often you're compared. And so from everything to size, to shape, to what you look like, to what your grades are, uh, it, it feels like this competition all the time. Um, but 100%, Emily, I, rema- I relate to you uh, in, in like body image. It's so hard. And I have two boys, but I have a little girl, and that's just something I don't ever want her to have to struggle through. I also feel like in this day and age, so much of what we look to for that security is in our marriages and whether or not our spouse is bringing us happiness and joy. And again, Emily, what you said about you know whether or not your children, you're finding that happiness and, and joy from your children and how they behave and how they're achieving Um, I have a very high-achieving family. I am the only kid in my family that doesn't have a higher education degree, a graduate level or higher degree. And so for me to be a stay-at-home parent, it has has caused me to question my own value, not in trusting in myself as a child of God, but simply have I achieved enough? Have I earned enough? Is my, do I have enough titles? Do I have enough degrees? And so these are all things that I think culture teaches us in finding our security and what's in our bank account, how big our house is, what kind of degrees we have or what kind of job we have. And when you are a homemaker that isn't really earning any money, except for fitness class fund money, um, you know, that it really causes you to question where you find that security. It really kind of requires you to then have to trust in the Lord for the security of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a good point, too, that what y'all are mentioning, the things you're mentioning, aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves. Taking care of your body, teaching a fitness class, mm-hmm. loving on your kiddos, having a twin. You know, all those sorts of things are good but the idea of they are a God, in other words, they will supply the deepest things that I need. If they don't, there is nothing else. And no matter what they require of me, I will give it to them, is what David's describing, is that sort of worship only multiplies sorrows that we have. I love that. All of those things resonate with me. And when I think about what I'm looking for for security, I've confessed to y'all before that I think of the idols of comfort and ease that I've learned at this church, that those are not worthwhile pursuits, even though our culture informs us that those are the American dream. That's what we should be chasing after. So within that, I would look for the relationships like y'all were talking about, education, to be you know, at the front of the class with all the right information, experiences, you know, fun things like traveling or going to the fun new restaurants or Um, And, of course, we saw during the pandemic how we look to science or medicine to solve our problems. But I think what you were saying earlier, Amber, is like those are empty pursuits. And at the end of the day, those are not going to satisfy us. Hmm. So in Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6, we see other gods demanding sacrifices of blood that are poured out. But David talks to us about the Lord being his portion and cup, one who holds his lot and gives to him a beautiful inheritance. 
So thinking of that, how do these verses challenge you in the midst of your present circumstances to think of the portion that has been allotted you and the inheritance you should value? I think so much of inheritance as being this that is freely given. And Mm -hmm. so when we think, I think sometimes when I hear the word allotted, right, it feels more like something that is being my first impression is it feels more like something that's taken as a whole and then divvied up into small pieces and each person gets a nice fair amount. And and when you think of it instead as this inheritance that's been freely given, it's a gift that you've been given. It's not something that we deserve. It's just been something that's handed to you as a gift. When we think about it that way, how much more we cherish that thing, how much more meaningful it is to us that that it is just a gift that we did not earn, that we didn't have to aspire to, that we didn't, um, you know, that there was no requirement for us to fulfill in order to get that. There's so much more peace about it. I love this comparison between this cup poured out to these other gods, you know, when we strive to, to get our happiness and joy from these other idols and this inheritance that the Lord has really filled our cup. He's given us our portion. What he's given us is overflowing. Um, and what a beautiful distinction that is between something that really seems so much like work and effort and pouring out of ourselves. And instead is this inheritance from the Lord that is renewing and, um, and refreshing, like such an encouragement and a support to us uh, is so much more wonderful. And, and how much more we can rest in that than the endless striving of this pursuit of other idols. Yeah, I think that's, I would add on to that with, in verse five, the Lord has assigned us that portion, my portion and my cup. And it's not something that I have done. And in my vain pursuit of a certain image or the way that I want or what I think my children should be or my identity within my children, the Lord has already assigned. There is no striving. Striving has ceased when I rest in the Lord and the promise of in verse six that the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places, that they're there, that there's nothing that I can do um, even in the midst when it feels like the world is crumbling because there are those days and there are those seasons that I have been through and will go through again. This promise is not going to change that where he has placed me because my law is secure. My inheritance is in him. It's not in my family. It's not in how I'm perceived by others, um, but that it's, it's beautiful and that it's secure even in the darkest of moments. Yeah. Well, I like that you mentioned the darkness of moments because I was thinking about Lamentations um, where he is mourning and talks about his soul that's continually remembering how bowed down it is within him and how discouraged and distressed he is. Um, But then he calls this to mind and he says, Therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And I love that further explanation of the fact that the Lord is our por- portion. What is in that cup? What is that beautiful inheritance? It is salvation. It is steadfast love. It is tender mercies that meet us 
every day, no matter which circumstance we find ourselves in or how dark those might be, that the Lord, I loved how you said that, and he gives that to us as an inheritance. We haven't earned that. It's been given freely to us. You know, after praising the Lord for being his good in portion, his good portion, his inheritance, David goes on to describe his response to such a Lord, and he says that he has set the Lord always before him. He hears, hears and heeds his counsel and walks in it. So what about his response to the Lord, David's response in verses 7 and 8 was instructive and challenging to you? I set Emily before me, mm. and I set my plan before me first thing. A couple weeks ago, John Franks preached uh I don't know what he was preaching, but he did talk about <laughs> this book called The Common Rule, and I bought it, um, and it's very good, but the author talks about just daily rhythms to help do just that, to set the Lord before you, and I think in this day and age, it's so easy for me to, like, the first thing I do, because my alarm is on my phone, I turn my alarm off, and then I look at all the notifications I have, and I look to, you know, social media just to catch up on the things, and already my mind is going in a million different places mm. and I'm already starting that rat race. Mm. But instead, if I don't look at those notifications and I meet with the Lord first and I set my day and I set my set the Lord before me, I'm going to mess up because I do usually within the first 30 minutes, but that sets a precedent and and I pray that it would redirect me, that I would, when my mind starts to wander and when I start to doubt my worth or a situation that is happening, that I would look to the Lord and that he would be, he would write my path. Can I borrow that book? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Are you done with it? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I read two chapters. No. I, uh, I remember my mom Uh, participated in a BSF kind of Bible study program when I was a kid. And she came home one day and she said, I learned something new that when we're praying throughout the day that I can pray, Lord, how would you have me use this day? But not just, Lord, how would you have me use this day? But like, think smaller. Maybe that's too big a picture. You know, how, Lord, would you have me use this next hour? And I think I'm a scheduler. Emily knows I'm a scheduler. Uh, I find that I, if it's not in the calendar, it doesn't happen that day. And I have to break into more spontaneity, I think, sometimes. But I find it's really difficult for me in starting a morning and planning my whole day that I really have the mindset and the control on how I use each individual hour and how very different it would be to go into each one of those hours and say, Lord, how would you have me use this hour? How would you have me love your people well in this hour? How would you have me love this household well in this hour? Um, I think that it would it would it would give us a di- he could really give us a wisdom and a discernment that is so very different than when we take that control and try and run that day for ourselves in our own plans in our own timing uh, and I think in doing that we could really be settling for not the Lord's best for us uh, that he may have something so much better for us that we just don't even know yeah Well, you're touching on what David says in verse 7, that he blesses the Lord who gives him counsel. 
And that's part of what it means to always set the Lord before me. You know, when we, I do the same thing. I get up, I pull up my phone, I look at my texts that may have come through after I went to bed, or I look at the weather, I look at social media or whatever. I'm wanting something from all of those things. I'm wanting them to either tell me something or give me something, or I'm looking to them to somehow direct me. I know it's silly to think about the weather, but, you know, what's the weather going to be today and how am I going to feel about that? And am I going to have soccer? And then what's my day going to look like or whatever? I'm looking for some sense of direction or affirmation or whatever. And I just think, wow, do what you're saying, Anna, like the Lord's counsel to set that before me constantly um, instead of the other things. That's a different way of of thinking. Yeah, I feel like that little... um couple verses just reiterate how we the Lord desires to pour good out to us and um, even so much so that and y'all have been picking up on this theme that even in our rest like he's done the work in all time eternal like Christ has finished the work and in our rest we receive from him he wants to pour out his good counsel on us and in lesson one, I remember Kathleen Nielsen picked up on the um, last words of David. And I was talking to my husband about how I wanted to be that kind of ruler. That's not a ruler. That's funny to think of it that way. But that kind of parent that um, I understand God's goodness so much to me that in Second Samuel 23, it talks about David, how he's the kind of ruler that rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. He dawns on them like light in the morning, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And we were just talking about what it's like to be a parent that causes flourishing instead of just demanding control and demanding um, things go my way and um, that the kids always measure up to mom or dad's standards and how, no, I want to follow in suit of our God who wants good for us, who provides a place for flourishing. He pours out his love on us and provides um, that kind of counsel and security. So down in verses 9 through 11, we see that David knew that the presence of the Lord in his life meant that he would never be shaken, not in his mortal life and not eternally. He believed God's promise to set one of his descendants on the throne eternally, And as God's prophet, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 32, and Acts chapter 13, 34 through 39, speak about David's words concerning Jesus and how the truth about Jesus applies to those who believe. So what are the applications for you personally of Christ's fulfillment of the truth David prophesied about? That the Holy One who would not see corruption, and that as a result David and we believers in Jesus would know the path of life and the pleasures of the Lord forever. So I think, you know, the Bible is this wonderful narrative that that ultimately the the whole thing is speaking of Christ. And so this passage in Psalms to to hear David talking about it, you know, we think so much he's speaking of himself, right? But this holy one who doesn't see decay, that's not David because mm-hmm. David did go to the grave and died, but that Jesus, who is a descendant from David through the line of David, um, didn't see decay, that the Lord resurrected him. And I think you know, so much, for me, this just gives me so much hope. You know, verse 9 says, um, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. 
my body also will rest secure, and that rest is living in hope, depending on your translation. And so how much we will suffer in this lifetime, and we do suffer, and some of us have had very unique suffering in our life and to know then that there is this hope that we can live in hope that that the hope is that Jesus has already risen from the from the dead um that the lord doesn't forget us in our suffering you know that that section in uh i think it was acts 13 um says like but god you know that we're we do experience suffering and we do experience hardship in our life but the lord has not abandon us in that and walks alongside us in that. And there is so much hope for that the suffering that we experience in this life is, regardless of how hard it is, really is light and momentary. And these are not things that we will experience in heaven. And so we live in that hope of the eternal. Yeah, I think that the first thought is that, or what Amber, you were saying earlier about setting the Lord before us, like that promise that he is still there and that he is redeeming, um, that redeeming it all that you have made known to me, the path of life, like it has been made known. And, um, and so it, in light of the things that I shared with, whether it's body image or just my role as a mom and my idol of my children, like, there is a chance for redemption and there is a promise of redemption. And, and so I hope practically that looks like that I'm not, that I'm going to teach my girls and my boy how to have a healthy body image and to not look to the world for their security and their, and to receive what all those messages coming in, helping them to filter that. And I have seen how different things have come up in my, in the last 10 years of being a parent where it has been, it felt like huge obstacles and where we didn't know a way out and the Lord provided and he will continue to provide, even though I assume that the last time he provided was the last time he's going to provide, but that he is going to continue to provide and continue to redeem because he's more committed to Brighton Micah and Tallulah than even I am. And so just this constant reminder that I need to be reminded of is that he is redeeming, re- redeeming it all. Well, the fact that you were, you used that word redeeming, and that has always been his express intention through all of history, um, the Lord and before the Lord's purpose has always been redemption through his son. And so I just want to read these verses because it makes me think of what you all are saying and it ties it together. It shows what we do with the Redeemer and yet what he does for us. And this Psalm, Psalm 16, is quoted in this passage. And Peter is speaking here. It's This is in the book of Acts. And he's preaching to Jews not long after the resurrection, right near the right at Pentecost and Everybody's wondering what in the world is going on. Everybody's speaking in tongues. How do we hear this message in our own language? It's just a miraculous. When you think speaking in tongues, you often think of something you can't understand. But it wasn't that. It was that everybody was given the ability to speak to everybody who had come from all sorts of different places in their own native tongue to hear the good news about Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, Peter's giving this explanation. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says, and this is our psalm concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses." being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And I love that because it just so uh, eloquently and succinctly describes what Christ's role is in that redemptive process and how he redeemed a people who crucified him and how with the reward of that redemption, he poured out his Holy Spirit, his good news, his gospel, his beautiful and bountiful inheritance on those who didn't deserve it. And yet those he chose in his love. That's beautiful. I love that. Emily and Anna, thank you for talking with Amber and me today. Listeners, if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests today, check out our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA. Or find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. We'd love for you to join us again next week. Take us to the dog park or along for a ride when you pick up your groceries. We will be sitting with Leslie Glass and Melody Pitts to talk about Psalm 32 and the wonders of forgiveness. We'll hope you listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain.